Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. You know, it's pretty cool to see so many hobbyists playing with botanical materials in their aquariums, trying out new aesthetics and making those mental shifts to accept nature in all of her unedited glory. We have, for the first time, at least in my opinion, seen large numbers of hobbyists not only acknowledging that nature is an imperfect, often dirty-looking, or even chaotic place, not at all obligated to meet our aesthetic uh, expectations of what it should look like. And it's made us discuss what we've previously interpreted as authentic interpretations of nature in years past and evolution of sorts, I think. Finding the true beauty in this unedited, you know, interpretation of nature in our aquariums involves making some mental shifts and adjusting our aesthetic expectations. This is a quantum shift in my opinion. And it compels us to find beauty in things that we might previously have overlooked as dirty, unkempt, sloppy, or just plain ugly. We're appreciating not only the looks, but the functions which natural materials foster. And since our goal is to utilize these natural materials to represent on some level those found in the wild habitats from where our fishes come from, I have this expression that I use when describing the use of a lot of botanicals for aquascaping. Generic tropical. Now, by generic tropical, I mean utilizing materials from certain parts of the world to represent those in other parts of the world, like, you know, generically. Okay, I admit it, it's probably a pretty lame descriptor, but when you think about it for just a bit, there is a certain kind of logic to it. I mean, many materials, leaves, seed pods, etc., do have that sort of generic look to them, which would make them represent almost any type of tropical plant once submerged in the aquarium. Examples? Well, one of my favorites is Texas live oak leaf litter. It's made up of these diminutive leaves and their accompanying terrestrial materials like twigs and moss and so forth. And that could pass for a wide assortment of leaves and leaf litter from the trees of anything you'd find in the tropical jungle or rainforest pretty much anywhere in the world where water and foliage might meet. Now, unlike some of the more obviously northern hemisphere-looking oak leaves like beech and so forth, these leaves can look decidedly tropical. I know you're saying, Felman, what exactly does looking tropical mean? But that, for that point... Uh, to that point, for for that matter, other leaves like magnolia have a sort of, I don't know, je ne sais quoi about them, which can make them pass for fallen leaves of a typical jungle tree once submerged and covered over with biofilm and fungal growth. I mean, an astute botanist might be able to make a distinction upon close examination, but the typical armchair aquarist likely won't have the knowledge to make a real positive ID. And then there's those seed pots. For the most part, almost any of the botanicals which we collectively refer to as seed pods, which often are actually the follicle or fruit of a tree to be technically accurate. Um, any of the ones in our collection are from various tropical locales. The ones that come from North America or more temperate climes are either sort of representative of materials that you might find in the tropics or they're utilized strictly for more utilitarian purposes. Case in point, the alder cone. I mean, no one's going to look at an alder cone and think to themselves, yeah, Borneo, man. Nope, not going to happen. On the other hand, some people don't really care because they like the looks and aren't bothered by their decidedly non-tropical look. Others use them strictly for functional purposes, like fish breeders and shrimp hobbies do value these little tint grenades for what they are. Tint delivery vehicles and biofilm propagation substrates. 
you know, shrimp love them, etc. They're functional. And of course, the, there are materials which sort of fill multiple categories. I mean, our other engineered descriptor of functional aesthetics. We just discussed this idea recently, so I'm not going to beat the crap out of it here. But what we mean by this term is material which looks good and happens to provide something else, like a place for fishes to hide or spawn or a supplemental food source or even a significant substrate upon which biofilms can propagate and shrimp can feed on, you know, like the latifolia pod, for example. Botanicals like our most popular one, the Kareniana pod, fall into this category as they are not only very authentic looking and decidedly tropical in origin that you might, might find in a flooded forest or a stream in South America, or they effectively represent something else that you might find there. They also provide a function, uh, in this case, a hiding spot or a breeding cave for fishes like Epistogramma. Yeah, I can t- can't tell you how many pics I received from our community over the years showing an Epistogramma cutely hunkered down in one of these little pods, sometimes with a clutch of eggs or a batch of, you know, fry. And it's pretty neat to see. And then, of course, there's materials that I just sort of call, and this is not even a term, but it's called whimsically functional. Stuff which absolutely has no chance of being found in the habitats which our fishes come from, and stuff that doesn't really provide anything that accurately represents a particular item that you likely find in these habitats. For example, chola wood. It's the skeleton of a cactus found in the deserts of southwestern United States, not exactly a mecca for tropical fish habitats. Now, chola has become sort of an industry standard for shrimp keepers and lovers of aquatic mosses because the mosses are easy to affix to the many faceted branches and shrimp love grazing on the biofilms with chola, you know, recruits. But yeah, it resembles nothing that you'd ever find in a tropical aquatic habitat. And guess what? There's nothing really inherently wrong about using materials which aren't found in natural habitats of our fishes. If we're honest with ourselves, that category applies to the majority of materials which we regularly utilize in aquascaping, right? Like rocks, driftwood, everything. And that's not a problem, in my opinion. We've been playing with this stuff like you know, for generations. I mean, sure, if you're a hardcore biotope aquarium enthusiast and are entering a tank in one of those contests where extreme authenticity is valued, you need to make, take that into account. We provide and will continue to do some deep dives and give more origin and species information about our botanicals and, you know, that you're likely, probably more information than you're likely to find anywhere else on them. So you can make some informed decisions relative to your biotope aquarium. That being said, I think we as hobbyists just need to chill a bit about the level of authenticity demanded by many of these biotope contests out there. We get really worked up. I mean, really pissy about this stuff. It's kind of fun for me to watch it from afar, actually. Now, it does show, you know, the level of passion and commitment to the art and science that our hobby community has, which is great. I have no issue with many of those standards for biotope aquariums. They're logical and well thought out. Where I take issue, like so many things in this hobby, is with the attitudes. I mean, I've had people call out others. I've had. I've seen people call out others because one of the leaves or whatnot in a Rio, you know, fill in the blanks, biotope aquarium is not endemic to the region or whatever. It's like, okay, I get your thinking, but really, can these armchair critics really discern the decomposing leave of Javier Brasiliensis, Suetinia macrophylia, Eutrope pecoteria from, you know, can they determine those from catapa, guava, jackfruit, apple, oak, etc.? especially if they've, they've been submerged for a few weeks? I mean, seriously? Oh, just because the botanical or leaf or twig comes from whatever, that doesn't mean you necessarily find it in the water in those regions. And if someone can't source these specific Amazonian leaves and newsflash hair, you can't at the moment because of restrictions on their export, thankfully. Does that invalidate an aquarium from consideration on a serious biotope aquarium? It really shouldn't, and I don't think it does. I just think we get some people that have some attitudes. 
Maybe I'm missing the point here. No, I don't think so. At the end of the day, I think that everyone can and should put aside their, you know, interpretive differences and come to an agreement that just about any aquarium intended to replicate on some level a specific wild habitat, an ecological niche, or an area where certain fishes are found is hugely important. Why? Because it calls to attention the habitats and the environments themselves. It creates a starting point for discussion, research, debate. It raises awareness of the challenges that many habitats face with the encroachment of man's activities. It most certainly makes us appreciate the fragility of life, the genius of nature, and the incredible diversity and beauty of our home planet. We all want to represent as accurately, as accurately and as faithfully as possible the biotopic niches that we're into, and that is incredibly cool. However, when we get caught up in semantics and petty arguments for the sake of, well, for the sake of being right, who does this help? No one. Who does it hurt? Well, doesn't this kind of criticism hurt those who are in a unique position to put their aquarium hobby talents to maybe, maybe reach a few non-hobbyists with their beautiful tank? Perhaps raising awareness of the plight of that Borneo peat swamp or that African floodplain, for example? Does such criticism, you know, discourage them from trying again in the future and sharing their work with the world? Yeah, I think it does, and I think that sucks. We need to lose the attitude on this topic. It starts with the labels we assign to our work. I think that many aquariums can be accurately labeled biotope-inspired or biotope-style and be very reasonable representations of a specific aquatic habitat. I think a lot of the cool work in our community does is kind of at that level, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. We want to inspire and facilitate good work in this area and others. As long as we're honest with ourselves and others, that's okay. So the idea of authenticity in our aquarium or our aquarium representations of nature, although important, isn't nearly as important as the underlying message such aquariums convey. That the world is filled with amazing beauty and that our aquariums are just another window to that world, filled with every bit as much wonder as the wild habitats that they represent. Think about that. Stay resourceful. Stay creative. Stay observant. Stay devoted. Stay excited. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenth.